This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely positively need to make sure every surface is clean, bust out the cleaner with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. An innovative fermenter that's 100% made in the USA. No cleaning or sanitizing required. The Genesis fermenter from Brewcraft is all of that. Just place the sanitary inner liner in the Genesis, fill with your wort, and pitch your yeast. That's it. Not to mention you can't break it, it has built-in handles, and the opening is almost 6 inches wide. The Genesis Fermenter from Brewcraft USA is truly innovative and can be purchased anywhere Brewcraft USA products are sold. And by NicoBrew.com. NicoBrew.com is your one-stop hop shop where Nico and his kilt take care of all your hop needs with nitrogen flush mylar and only $5 to ship anywhere in the U.S. and with great international rates. If you're a pro brewer or homebrew shop owner, get a commercial account at pro.nicobrew.com to take full advantage of Nico and his guild. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 46,000 beer lovers. Since 1978, the AHA and its members have worked to promote the best hobby there is, homebrewing. Join us today for six issues of Zymergy Magazine, money-saving AHA member deals, and access to exclusive events and competitions. And remember, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. Why Yeast Laboratories has provided fresh, premium liquid yeast cultures worldwide since 1986. Choose from our product collection of ale, lager, German wheat, Belgian ale, wine, malolactic, or wild and sour strains for your next fermentation creation. We're here to help you ferment premium products like the professional. Why yeast? And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. Hey there, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing. Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars. Between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. Now, I'm the guy known for weird beer and weird ideas. And I'm the guy known for questioning the conventional wisdom and testing it out and making fun of Drew as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. Today's episode is going to be a slightly different episode because as this actually comes live onto the internet, uh, Denny and I will be ensconced in a room in Baltimore with all your other elected representatives for the American Homebrewers Association Governing Committee. That's right, every year we get together, we sit down, and we actually have to do business. It's not just drinking beer. That's right. But that's going to be our kickoff to the American Homebrewers Association Homebrew Con, the Wrath of Con. And uh, so <laughs> since we're going to be busy doing that, 
Uh, we decided that we'd bring you kind of a slightly different episode today. We're still going to uh, give a little bit of feedback. Uh, we'll head to the pub for a brief discussion on a couple of things. But uh, we will be skipping over some of our longtime segments like Ask Danny and Drew uh, and the Quick Tip of the Week because we will have a double interview that I actually conducted a few weeks back with two craft breweries located up in Lancaster in here in the L.A. area. Distance-wise, they're only 500 <laughs> feet apart. Yeah. But brewing culture-wise, uh, I don't think they could be any further apart than uh, Denny and I are. So that will be a lot of fun. And also keep in mind that the show after this one is going to be a very special episode. We'll be recording it live at the Homebrew Con, and it'll be an all-question-and-answer show, taking questions from people passing by, whoever we can manage to tackle. And to that point, yes? uh, you know, because who knows how questions may go while we're live, if you have questions that you'd like for us to answer, uh, ask away at questions at experimentalbrew.com, and if we have a lull during the show... We'll make sure to get to them. <laughs> and he didn't really mean to make it sound like your questions are that unimportant, but <laughs> they're really not. Hey, we want to remind you that you can support us on Patreon. You go to our website, experimentalbrew.com, and you can click on the Patreon link in order to donate whatever amount of money that you feel like. And we'll use that money to uh, support our charity of choice, which is Freedom Service Dogs. They're a great organization that uh, trains rescue dogs to be service dogs for disabled veterans and other people. And, you know, how much better does it get than that? So through the end of June, that's our charity. Get to experimentalbrew.com, throw us a few bucks, and we will get it onto the pooches. Yeah, and, you know, this is actually, what, either the last episode or next last episode? Uh, next last episode. Before we close up our charity uh, run with Freedom Service Dogs of America, we are over our $200 goal, which is awesome. I think we're also over our $250 goal, which is also awesome. Uh, but hey, look, all of the money that we collect by the end of June will go to the pups. So hey, you know, give, give some money for pooches. And given that this is the end of the first uh, first charity drive... We are still in search for new charity choices. We have a couple suggestions in from the, the listenership, but we will always gladly take yours because, hey, we're still trying to give money away to uh, worthy causes. So, I don't know, more uh, more dogs, save the cows. Hey, you just uh, help us decide. And remember, yep. every little dollar that you give That's right. helps your charity of choice and also helps us run this podcast. And so now, uh, now for the self-aggrandizement <laughs> portion of the show. We got a, a really, really nice letter from uh, a listener a long ways away. Uh, his name, let me see here. I have it someplace, and I will undoubtedly screw up the pronunciation. His name was Antonio Estelar Bovera. And Antonio, I want to just apologize right now for my Midwestern pronunciation of your name. Antonio sent us a really nice message uh, via Facebook saying, Hi, Denny. I just wanted to thank you. The great books I just read, Experimental Brewing and Homebrewing All-Stars. I really think they're going to be very helpful to improve as a homebrewer and enjoy even more of this fantastic hobby. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom. A hug from the Mediterranean coast of Spain. Antonio, thank you so much, man. Uh... You know, it's fun to write those books, but it's also a lot of work. So it's always nice to hear that uh, that, that effort is appreciated out there. So uh, 
Keep it up, and so will we. You know, I'm just curious as to what passes for wisdom in Spain. <laughs> yeah, well, I noticed he didn't thank you for any wisdom, did he? Well, yeah, good taste, bad taste. Who can account? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All right, boys and girls, it's time for us to get to that sort of segment that everybody who's producing content that goes out on the internet hates to actually get involved with. That's right. It's time for us to correct ourselves in a little segment that we're calling the Correctional Department of Corrections, Corrections. All right. So in the last episode, when we were talking about New England IPA, uh, Denny had originally said Northeast IPA, but we corrected that on air. However, I continued to flub a mistake, and that was pointed out to me by a couple of listeners. And I sort of accidentally conflated Y East 1318, a.k.a. London 3, with the Conan strain and tied them uh, together far more closely than it should have been. Now, it is true that a lot of New England style IPAs are produced using Y East 1318. However, that is a different strain than Conan, which is what is infamously used in Hetty Topper. So, my apologies, my bad. I should not have tied them together as much as I did. Uh, however, I, I will still stand by the fact that I think 1318 is a perfectly valid choice for a New England IPA, given the number of breweries out there that are doing it. And yes, it, this does also mean that at some point in time, we will want to test the Conan strain. But in the meanwhile, that's it for your correction. So if you know something that you think we've said is wrong or something that you feel that we should correct, please email us a correction so that we can run the Correctional Department of Corrections segment with your correction. Just email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com in order to get a correction into the Correctional Department of Corrections segment of the show. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time to head over to the pub, have a beer, and talk about the beer life. So we'll be right back. All right, we are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of Everywhere and Nowhere in your town, USA, having a couple beers. And uh, it's getting warm up here in Oregon, so I broke into my stash of El Sully today, a beautiful Mexican-style lager from 21st Amendment and uh, perfect beer for a day like this. Uh, what's in your glass, Drew? Well, uh, given that this week, as our listeners are hearing it, is Homebrew Con. And uh, as we're recording this, it's a week away. Uh, I decided I'm cheating this week because I'm going to have plenty of beer while I'm up there in Baltimore. <laughs> so instead today, in celebration of the fact that it is a nice, warm, late spring day, I am having one of my favorite things in the entire world. A gin oh, tonic. nice, man. I used to be a huge gin and tonic fan until I discovered beer. And now, for some reason, it doesn't cross my mind often enough, but... Right on to a good gin and tonic, no doubt about that. Well, as Drew mentioned, uh, with the uh, AHA Homebrew Con is going to be starting up tomorrow, and we're in Baltimore right now getting ready for it. What are you looking forward to this week, man? Uh, well, I mean, I always think uh, Homebrew Con, NHC, however you want to refer to it. I don't know, to me, it's always a chance to go meet old friends again, right? Yeah. So, I, I look forward to all the events that we have, uh, the homebrew night, the pro night, uh, all the different lectures of uh, vast and varying topics and uh, levels. But really, it's just great fun to be able to wander around and go, dude, dude, I haven't seen you in forever. Or have people come with me and go, Drew, and me have to look at them and go, dude, 
I don't remember the name. <laughs> Show me your name tag. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 the same way, man. The the first couple times I went, uh, you know, it was I was really impressed by all the great beer there and the great varieties and all the 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 wacky wildness of club night and all that kind of stuff. But after you've gone a couple times and you start making friends, I, I really find that it's the people that I look forward to every year when I head back to it. And we are going to be busy, busy guys at Homebrew Con in Baltimore. We're given two seminars. First one is on Thursday, the 9th at 2 p.m. That would be tomorrow. And then again on Saturday at 2 p.m. So if you're uh, at the conference, please come on by one of the seminars. And uh, I guarantee you'll be entertained and hopefully educated, too. After the uh, Thursday seminar... We'll be at the Craftmeister booth on the trade show floor from about 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, we'll be doing a little meet and greet there, talking about how great the Craftmeister products are. And uh, then on Friday, that's the really big day, from 2 to 4 p.m. on Friday, we'll be at the Brewcraft booth on the trade show floor. That's booth number 800. And that's where we're doing our live Q&A session taping of the, uh, of the podcast. Taping. Boy, that's amazing how that term is hung on when there's no tape involved. <laughs> well, that, 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 well, that's just like, uh, think of all the kids nowadays who open up a Microsoft Word and they go to click on save and it's a floppy yeah, disk. Right. <laughs> and then also on Friday, there's an AHA-sponsored forum meetup where if you're a member of the AHA forum or any other forum uh, out there on the great interwebs, it'll be a chance to get together with other forum members, put names to faces, and that'll be happening in the social club space on Friday from 11.45 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. Uh, we may even try to do a version of Drew's Troubleshooter's Corner, so if you have a beer you want him to diss, uh, bring it along, and he'll... <laughs> talk to you about uh, it uh, yeah. yeah i was gonna say it's not dissing yeah it's a critical a critical interactive interpretation of the beer okay well that's that's fine but uh that's why i'm not bringing any beer because i know what he'll say to me if you haven't had enough <laughs> of us in all those other places you can come on by the brewer's publication booth on thursday from 11 a.m to 12 p.m and we will be signing books there. So if you need to pick up a copy of either Experimental Homebrewing or Homebrew All-Stars, you can do that there. And we will be happy, happy to autograph it for you. Okay, that's my spiel. Uh, <laughs> so I, I know that you didn't get in on the uh, first session of Zymergy Live this week with Stan Hieronymus, but I did. And it was, it was pretty darn cool, man. Yeah, well, I'm just glad to see that they're finally taking off of this idea. I, I think I first proposed to them two years ago, and, and them being the HA. Uh, I think I first proposed to the HA uh, two years ago that they do the same sort of concept. For our listeners who don't know, the parent organization of the American Homebrewers Association, the Brewers Association, runs a monthly, what they call a power hour. And it's literally everybody gets up onto a phone bridge or uh, WebEx in this case. So, you know, like a sharing protocol on your on your desktop. And they have a speaker present on a topic. Wait, wait all that, that uh, what all that mumble 
Gook that uh, Drew just said was basically, it's a uh, a lecture and seminar presented via the internet. Right, and uh, but they they do that for Brewers Association for the craft brewery members, and so I've argued for years or uh, poked for years saying, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool to do that for home brewers as well. And yeah, so they just did the first one with Stan, and I I I missed it. But what the hell did he talk about? He talked about uh, indigenous brewing. He has a, a new book coming out uh, about brewing local, using things that you can find locally uh, to put into your beer or other beverages. Uh, it really ties right in with the uh, beers made by walking uh, movement that's going on, where uh, brewers just kind of go out walking through the woods or a park or something like that, looking for ingredients that they could use. So Stan covered a whole lot of different unusual ingredients and uh, a lot of different ways to to make use of them. Uh, it was it was darn interesting. Uh, I found it fascinating from a theoretical point of view. Although I have to admit that none of the beverages he was talking about sounded particularly appealing to me. But I mean, you know my tastes in beer flavored beer. I think that there are a lot of people who are going to be getting a whole lot out of uh, that particular webinar. And I know that uh, the AHA has plans for other ones coming up. Yeah, I I can't wait. Uh, I know that there's still talk about, okay, you know, perfect timing and all that, because I think they did that one, what, like on a Tuesday at noon? Yeah. And that, and that is, yeah, right. And that's something that a few people have had issues with because not everybody is retired like me and can make it Tuesday at noon. But the good thing is that they also put those online. So if you're an AHA member, uh, you can uh, go watch it later, and uh, it, it won't be significantly different. The only, the only difference uh, there will really be is that you won't be able to ask questions of Stan because he's not really there at that point. <laughs> oh, well, hey, but the oh. good thing is I think uh, Stan's going to be at the Homebrew Con, right? Yeah, and I believe that he's going to be doing a seminar pretty much along the same line. So, and Ta-da, I'm, there I'm you probably, go. You can go ask him questions there. That's right. That's right. So. I guess it's about time to move on to our interviews. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, time to uh, time to go to talk some beer with some craft brewers out there and see what lessons we can learn. All righty, we'll be right back with uh, Drew talking to the brewers at uh, Transplants and Lucky Luke. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time we talked about beer? So come on in. Yeah, come on in. Drew and I are sitting here in the lounge. We brought our beers over from the pub, and uh, we're going to listen to a couple interviews that uh, that Drew did recently. Uh, fill us in, buddy. Yeah, so, all right, for those of you who are not aware, Los Angeles is a very big place. No. Massive. It's huge. Wow. I think I think LA County is the size of Rhode Island and about as half as corrupt. That's a lot bigger uh, than no tie. <laughs> well, that's not saying much. I think my hometown is bigger than no tie. Yeah. <laughs> um but so up in the north uh northeastern corner of LA, uh, LA County are sort of the twin cities of Palmdale and Lancaster, which is the, kind of the heart of what's called the Antelope Valley region. 
most people outside of Southern California would probably know it as being pretty much the home of Edwards Air Force Base, where they test a lot of really cool aircraft. But uh, up there, we now have actually gotten a craft beer scene. It all started a couple of years ago with uh, good friends of mine, uh, Sven uh, Kinsey, who opened up uh, Kinetic Brewing Company, which also employs Charlie Essers, that people may know as Push Eject from online. Uh, and then you got Brian Avery opened up Bravery Brewing, and now there are a couple of others. And I decided I would go talk to two of the newest uh, while I was traveling up that way to go to my homebrew club's annual spring festival. You know, where we go, go and do like, hey, let's take over a campsite, go drink beer, dance, and drink more beer. So I decided, what the hey, let's go talk this way because it takes a while to get out to Lancaster from my neck of the woods. And I figured it'd be kind of good to go talk to them. Now, part of the other reason why I wanted to talk to, to these guys is, one, both craft breweries, just like virtually every other craft brewery in America, has been founded by a couple of homebrewers. Yeah, they have homebrew, uh, homebrew backgrounds, homebrew sens sensibilities. But what I really liked about both Lucky Luke and Transplant Spurring Company, which are the two that we're talking to today, is they are separated by about 500 feet in terms of distance. Uh, cross the street into a different parking lot, boom, different brewery. But from a philosophical point of view, they really could not be further apart. Uh, and so I really thought it'd be great to get them together on the show as you know, kind of a compare and contrast. So the first interview that you're going to hear uh, is from my stop at Transplant Brewing Company uh, at the beginning of the day, uh, where we talk about the sort of crazy pants, inspirational beers that they're doing and exactly what their reception has been. So why don't we get started with that particular interview with uh, Matt and Sarah Luker of Transplants Brewing Company. All right, guys, uh, we're sitting here. We've got a couple of beers, or at least I have a couple of beers. I have a nice flight in front of me. So while I'm uh, tasting some of these, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself to the audience? Um, Sarah Luker. Um, me and my husband, Matt, have been um, homebrewing for some time now. Uh, just opened this place in the beginning of January. Um, we're trying to do different kinds of beers, fruit and fruit infused beers and just just kind of kind of off the wall things but still having them make sense in a culinary sense i guess um what else do you want to know <laughs> yeah i guess i'll just comment on that too uh yeah i mean we're trying to as long as we can get away with it stay true to the home brewing roots and just keep bringing crazy and doing whatever everyone else isn't doing well i was going to say yeah looking at the board i mean there's a, a fairly broad swath of flavors that you guys have up there uh, apparently, uh, just to pull up the list, because, I mean, you, you have an IPA, because I think by law in California, you are required to have an IPA yeah. nowadays. <laughs> pretty much. Um, but you've got, uh, in front of me, I've got a, a Filbert beer. I have a malt liquor, which is awesome. That's something I want to make sure it comes back. Uh, a cucumber wheat beer, a beet saison, and uh, then uh, I'm missing one. What am I missing? That's what I got. The Filbert the beer, the cumbersome, the beet, the so judge. Cucumber or the IPA? Which one did you say? Uh, it, it was, ah, whatever. I have, a, I have a broad selection of beers. <laughs> and, and guess what, guys? This is literally my first sip of the day, so uh, I can't even have the excuse of not being sober. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the homebrewing aspect. So uh, as uh, Sarah's getting up to go take care of customers, because it is a working brewery and an open tap room, uh, so, Matt, let's talk uh, your homebrewing history. How did you guys get involved and how did that start? Uh, basically, I uh, just, I had a left, uh, 
my brother's ex-girlfriend had left a homebrew kit at my parents' house, so they I guess it got sent home with us at Christmas. So basically, we you know did the crappy Mr. Beer kit the first time, and it actually worked out okay. So then after that, it scaled up to being on the you know the kitchen stove, and then next after that, it was in the garage, and then ten batches after that, we were kegging, and basically every weekend we were out there doing stuff, and it was. It just got to be a good thing for us because uh, it was something we could work on together. Uh, I've been playing in bands, and Sarah's always been supportive of uh, what I've been doing, so it was nice to be able to have a, a common goal or something to work on together. And she's always been the leader of this, and it's worked out pretty well. Uh, every time we would make crazy beers and bring them to parties or homebrew events, she'd usually make some crazy food to go with it, and it just always ended up being very well received. All right, and so how many, how many years was it from uh, from Mr. Beer Kit to massive brewery hanging out here behind us? <laughs> we brewed for the first time in 2012. Wait, hold on. All right, let's back that up. So <laughs> Mr. Beer Kit in 2012, and then you've opened up how big is the brewery? Uh, ten, it's Ten Barrel. Ten Barrel Brewery in three years? <laughs> three years' time? Yeah, we were see, out there a lot, though. We were out there every weekend brewing. It was, I mean, we were trying. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was very, very quick. I agree. See, I'm sitting here going, you know, I, I felt like I moved fast because I started in 99 and I was in all grain and kegs by batch six. And I'm still there. <laughs> so, wow, okay. Um, so here, uh, you know, uh, all right, let's uh, do this one. That's one of my favorite questions. What's your favorite curse word? Yeah, I f*** that. <laughs> hey, f- that's a good go. word. Because you can use it for everything. It can be a verb, a noun, an adjective. Like, do you have do you have a favorite way of, of using it? <laughs> like, if you, I, I, is, is there just an exclamation, or does it just come out as? I don't know. Like I said, it could be, could be used in a negative, positive, any which way. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. So now you said you uh, you've been involved in bands. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, what sort of, how long have you been uh, in bands, what do you play, What's, what does that do for you, you know? Uh, basically kind of like a prog rock band. Uh, Zookeeper's Palace is the, the current one. Uh, just how, how many bands have there been in the past? I don't know. Countless. <laughs> I, I don't know. So, you've been, you've been in more bands than you've been in years homebrewing and brewing. Yeah, definitely. And, and what do you play? Uh, keys and sing. We're actually playing tonight at the Mint, so that's ooh the Mint. That's high class. <laughs> nice. Uh, those of you who don't know, uh, the Mint is a uh, kind of a classic club down in LA, right? And I mean, uh, normally around blues and jazz, but they've been expanding over the years, and uh, so it, it is not a small unknown venue. The goal is to get the beer in there too, so I can play a show and sell beer at the same time. Sell free enforcement. <laughs> Now, I wonder what that looks like on the tax write-offs. Where does that go? <laughs> you know, a little bit, a little bit off on the equipment, a little bit off on the on the brewing. Uh, wherever we wherever we can fit it in, we'll <laughs> put numbers wherever it makes sense. Well, one interesting crossover with the band to the brewery, though, is just uh, the artist that does our flyers for the band mm-hmm. is the one that did all the art for the brewery. So we well, just knew him through that, and we started home brewing. He's like, "You need a logo," and then keeps on doing all sorts of awesome work for us. Well, so I was going to say, where we're sitting right now, I'm facing towards a very terrifying mutated hot cone with a knife 
and a giant mural full of these fantastical images. So can we talk the can we talk the logo, the hop cone, the Sure. So uh, basically the reason he's got the knife is because he sliced his head open and he's replaced his brain with hops. So it's a brain transplant. And Sarah's rejoined us, so um, <laughs> Well, and uh, so Sarah, uh, just to back up, uh, I have to ask you one of my favorite questions, which Matt already answered, but uh, what's your favorite curse word? That would be the same as his. I heard it's <laughs> By the way, that's about 90, 95% of the brewers out there, that's their favorite curse word. Yeah. I, I think it's just so utilitarian, and yeah. <laughs> to yeah. your point, it's everything. Multi-purpose. Thank uh, you. Um, all right. So, yeah. Now let's talk the name of the company, Transplants, right? You know, I, I know your your motto is what for the unrooted. Yeah, L's for the unrooted. Yeah, so a, a little bit of off-centeredness. What, what what got you to that concept of the unrooted? Well, it kind of ties into twofold because uh, transplants. It's kind of got a lot of meanings, but you know, it kind of lends itself to plants. Mm-hmm. and being you know rooted and all that kind of stuff and then also that gets the concept of we're not tied to any particular styles so just probably almost none of our beers are could be judged to style they'd all fall into the specialty category for the mm-hmm. most part except for some maybe some of the stouts or ipas so um you know it's just kind of a double meaning in that sense no and, boundaries and then also the you know, we're from Chicago. Mm-hmm. The other half of the company's from New York, so. Well, I was going to say, and, and people always talk about the L.A. area. You know, I mean, even though we're all the way up here in Lancaster, which is, again, about as far outside of L.A. that you can get that's still L.A. area. Um, a lot of people say that L.A. is a city of transplants, right? Right. I'm not, I'm not an Angelino. Uh, I grew up in Florida. Went to school in Boston and came out here. Now I've been here almost 20 years, which... I don't know. Is that uh, somehow does that mean I put down roots and and now a fully transplanted plant? I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? All right. Well, and so we we talked a little bit about how how y'all got into homebrewing, but you know, so what drove you uh, what you drove you Sarah into into the brewing? Like, what made you get so crazy about it that you decided to open up a brewery? Uh. Well, we, we kind of got into the homebrewing in the first place just as a good, like, couples activity, which he might have already said. Um, and then I like to I like to cook, so I kind of get some of that culinary aspects in it. So I know you, can, it's a, you can't just throw a bunch of stuff in a beer and have it work. You have to, like, have restraint um, and sometimes lack of restraint. And sometimes you have to understand what flavors go with other flavors. So um, that's, that's kind of what interested me with... Um, beer and as far as making a a business of it i guess it was just one of those things you know everybody wants to kind of work for themselves and kind of do something that they can be proud of and enjoy rather than you know just punching the clock for someone else so had to do a lot with that and so we just kind of moved forward with it all right and so were you guys opened it was late 2015 was the, the brewery opening or there was a couple random days at the end of the year but basically it's been regular hours since january 1st all right and so, how how long were you guys in flight of making the brewery before before that January first open date? Uh, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. we've had this place since a year ago, October. That, that seems that seems about the normal range. It, t- it seems that to go from conception to actually having the doors open it seems to be about eighteen months around here in LA. Yeah. You know, so who knows? It just takes some time, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's let's get down to the brass tacks because I think one of the interesting things that you guys have going, as we said, is 
you know, you have all of these very sort of outre beers, right? You know, they're they're not your standard beers. I mean, you got your IPA, you got your stout, but everything else out there is kind of making you stop and go, who? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk. Uh, my favorite question I always get to ask brewers is, I want you guys to describe your brewing philosophy, but you have to admit the word balance. No use of the word balance. As they pause and think. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess our brewing philosophy is just to do whatever everyone else isn't doing. Uh, we, we brew to what we want to have, and that's just something different. Every time I go out to drink, if I see a flavor or a style that I haven't had before, that's what I'm ordering because I want to experience something new. Mm-hmm. I think as as we get older, it's harder to have those first experiences where it's the fresh, ex- you know, fresh new experience. So I think it's fun to bring that to people. Uh, it's also makes it, uh, it not only interesting for people who have been drinking for a while, but also it's kind of like a, a new gateway point for people who maybe don't like beer because now this is a completely different thing than what they might have had in mind before or what they've mm-hmm. tried. Yeah, and it's, again, I think you, you talked a little bit about your culinary ideas, so okay, I'm assuming that's part of your drive as well. Yeah. Yeah, try and figure out, like, now, are you deeply into cooking? Is that why? Um, no, it's more of casual, you know, but I've just always done it, so, and just try not to use recipes so much. Obviously, we write stuff down here, but we do, but, <laughs> you know, I try not to, you know, a little of this, a little of that, and then you get to where you want to be. Yeah. We want to avoid being gimmicky or just, just being the place that puts Starburst in a cask or something like that. Uh, well, and so far, I mean, all right, now I've had a chance to sample through all the beers that you guys have put down in front of me. It's still got to be a beer. Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. It's still got to be beer. And, I mean, here's the thing is, I mean, yeah, you've got a beer with hazelnuts or filberts, depending upon what part of the country you're from. You know, and it definitely has that hazelnut flavor. It comes through very strongly, but it's not... Yeah, like that's all you're getting. You know, like one, one of my objections to some of the other hazelnut beers I've had out there is it feels like somebody basically poured hazelnut syrup into the beer to such a quantity that it's really the only thing you can taste. I mean, back here I still get those brown ale characteristics. I get that toast. I get the little bit of the chocolate malt, and I also get the nuts. So that's it's very well balanced that way. The cucumber beer that uh, that you guys have, and I think you said that one's going down to LA proper, right? Yeah. You know? uh, so that's being distributed out of the brewery cucumber beer it definitely has the cucumber skin that cucumber bitterness that you'd expect and a little bit of that cucumber freshness but without i've had other cucumber beers where they come off tasting like pickles mm-hmm. this doesn't taste like pickles this tastes like cucumbers but it also has the beer characteristics to it and the beet saison is actually the one that i think is the most surprising to me because you know this beer dear listeners who can't see it because we are in an audio format is about as bright red of a beer as you can get with brilliant clarity right through it. So I mean, it's like you are actually able to see through and it's this nice jelly red, like jelly cherry type red. But I'm not getting that sort of bad beet earthiness, the dirt characteristic. I'm getting some of the sweetness of the beets, but still it's not like, hey, beet. Yeah. <laughs> beer. It's beer with beets. Yeah. Well, that particular one is a collaboration with a homebrew friend of ours, Christina Ortiz from Eastside Brewers. 
uh, when a couple of years ago there was a some kind of a homebrew thing at uh, John Palmer who gets to try a bunch of beers and this is actually his favorite of, of the night uh, when we did it here uh, Sarah's one idea was to roast the beets to try to avoid some of that dirt type mm -hmm. flavor caramelize them a bit. Well, and and I think it's absolutely brilliant because I mean, yeah, you get that color shine through, and it is a really striking color, uh, which is awesome. You know, it, it, I mean, it busts completely out of the usual sort of, you know, yellow to black uh, spectrum that you get with beer. You know, it's like pa, but without the associated like you know, syrupy, stupid sweetness that you would expect when you know somebody's like, oh, look, bright red beer. Um, now, uh, so since I don't know, can you guys describe like when you're developing a recipe? Like, what's that collaboration look like? Because it sounds like both of you guys, uh, both of you guys have like this sort of, you know, push pull, you know, input into it. So how how do you guys decide? Hey, you know, I've got a cucumber idea. How do we make that into something? Uh, we always talk it through. Uh, I'm usually more in charge of you know the grain bill and everything and the the main recipe, and she handles all the crazy. But it, it's got to complement each other. Like whatever the the main base recipe is, has to lend itself to, to blending to whatever special thing we're going to put in it. Okay. And Sarah. Yeah, and that yeah, that's I agree with that. Like yeah, he gets he gets the base of it. I have less to do with deciding what kind of malts we're using or what kind of hops we're using. I might say, well, I'm looking for this kind of flavor, and then he knows, okay, so I'm going to use this and that. But then I'm I'm the one that decides like how much of what goes in there to to complement that, like with the beets, like how many. And sometimes it's just it's a I decide it based on a usually based on a feeling. Like I think this many pounds should go in, and it usually works out. But the, I, I, but with that, that being said, with certain ingredients, you you have to have the restraint. If you go overboard with something like cayenne or something, you know, then you want it to be you want it to be drinkable. So you you got to know where you can push the boundaries there. And f finding <laughs> ways to evoke those flavors. Uh, sometimes you know the ginger beer has cayenne in it, which is yeah. a weird thing. And when we're doing it for the first time, it's off. It's always multiple dosed. You can always add more to it, but you can't mm -hmm. take away. So Sarah will usually add a little bit, taste it, see where it is, add to it more. You know, she often will, you know, pour herself a glass and try to dose it more. And yeah. it, so now that, that brings up the point you're talking about dosing. How do you guys normally add the flavors to the beer? Like, you know, with cayenne, is that? Uh, I make a tincture. Uh, that's what I did with that. Um, and most of the time, it's it's pretty much fresh ingredients. Um, like with the ginger, I chop, you know, it's all post ginger. Fer post fermentation. Post -fer yeah, post so fermentation. So we have six inch hot ports on all the tanks, and mm -hmm. we just throw stuff in there. The cucumbers, there's 80 pounds of cucumbers that go straight into the tank, and it's mm -hmm. tons of fun well, to clean. So now, to put this into the parlance that I think some people who are traditionalists would say is so it sounds like what comes out of the brew kettle is a normal beer, in air quotes, normal in air quotes there, people. And then it goes in the fermenter. And then at that point in time, either after primary or during primary, depending upon the ingredient, or maybe even all the way up to packaging, is when the additional strangeness, the culinary aspects, come into play. Yeah, for, right. for the most part. There's exceptions to that, but for the yeah. most part. So, uh, and actually, something that we're doing around that idea, you know, a lot of people have to have a, a beer event where they make all their beers special with something else. 
uh, I'm actually trying to pull off uh, in the next month or two, we're going to do like a naked beer day, and I'm going to have four of our beers that are just the base recipes without the extra stuff in it, just so you can see that we can make a damn good base beer too. Uh, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, when you start to say, oh, you know, we make a special beer for, and I'm like, okay, for you guys, that means that you're making a beer without anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, since you talked about like, you know, kind of there's this sense of feeling that you have to put into the beer in order mm -hmm. to try and decide whether or not you're getting the flavor right. Has that ever gone disastrously wrong on you? And what was that? Um, no, not so much. Not since we've been um, doing that here, luckily. Um, I don't care. Even back in the home brewing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Then, I mean, we tr I tried to do a peanut butter and jelly beer once, and I made the mistake of using, like, a raspberry extract that was terrible. And that we dumped out. I mean, there, you know, it's, it's been a few times. and it, you, But we're our own worst critics. So, yeah, if I'm just like, other people try it and they're like, oh, it's not that bad. But, you know, if I'm like, no, I'm not proud of this. You know, this, this is garbage, you know. But I think most people would probably be, with some of the experimentation that we have, like especially with the Filberta, it probably took me, uh, I don't know, probably five or six different additions of random ingredients to get it to where we wanted it to be. Um, they'd probably be terrified to, to experiment with a 10 barrel batch, but now I just well, kind of, you know, to have a light hand and, you know, okay, so I'm going to do this now. Well, it's not there yet, so let's do a little more, and I always write it down so next time I can reproduce it, but, you know, that's kind of how, how I do it when it's something new. Well, and it seems like, I mean, if you're doing it post the brew process in terms of, like, the mash and brew kettle. Yeah. That's a that's a real advantage that you have there. Is yeah, that you can you can always come back in, to, yeah, to boost it. And right. yeah, that's what I always tell people is like, look, if you're going to play around with a new flavor, and that's one of the things I'm known for, right? You know, mm -hmm. you know, the hey, fluff another beer guy. And <laughs> I did make a peanut butter and jelly beer. Um, if you, if you're going to do that sort of thing, then yeah, what you want to do is kind of like start small, build up, because. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up with something that you just can't drink and you got to dump. Yeah. And at a homebrew scale, losing yeah. five gallons of beer sucks because you've lost the day and the time. Not so much the money part. At the scale that you guys are at, that's that's a big yeah. Hit. Yeah, you don't want that to, to happen. Particularly to a fledging business. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, it, yeah. Has there ever been a beer that you wanted to do that you couldn't do? Uh, well, there's one that I keep bringing up. There, actually, there's there's two that they give me a bad time about. Uh, I, I would like to do a traditional beer. I'd like to do a cocktail sometime. Uh, <laughs> and uh, another one along those lines, uh, and I saw, I think it was Right Brain out of Michigan that did this. They used like a, a pig head in a beer. And I think stuff like that is fantastic. Of course, our, our entirely vegetarian uh, bartending staff isn't a huge fan of that idea either, but I think it'd be fun. Wait, wait hold on. So, wait, how, how, how many bartenders do you have? Four now. You have four, and they're all vegetarian. <laughs> it just worked out that way. Welcome to California, people. <laughs> this does happen. I don't think it would happen anywhere else except for maybe in Portland. Um, all right, so... Obviously, you, you're known for doing these crazy things, right? Is there a beer that you find yourself longing to drink that you, you aren't necessarily making or that you're not seeing enough of out of the craft brew industry? Uh... I mean, as far as stuff that we're making, the only, I mean, I just really want to get to the stuff we have in the barrels. I just have to be patient. Uh, 
Well, so what, yeah. what do you got coming forth from barrels? Uh, so we have the peach saison in Syrah barrels. Uh, yeah. We have the Cascadian dark ale in some bourbon barrels. I have a barley wine with maple syrup that's in uh, bourbon and four grain whiskey barrels. And then a big stout with rye and honey that's in rye whiskey and four grain whiskey barrels. All right. Um, so what would you say are, uh, or here you go. What is, uh, what is something that you wish that more people would explore when they're drinking? Uh, just, I guess, push, pushing the boundaries of what they expect in a beer, trying something new. Uh, when I get groups in, in here that aren't necessarily craft beer drinkers and they go for our simple intro beer, I mean, I'm which happy. is it's uh, Palmdale Poppies. It's just it's basically a golden ale, but instead of hops at the end of it, we put poppy leaves. So it just gives it a little bit of a I don't know, kind of a, a little tea quality, I guess. Mm -hmm. So if big groups come in here and drink a lot of that. I mean, I'm happy because I guess it's really cheap and easy and quick to make. But I mean, well, and I want them to experiment. Well, try they've, the they've also stepped outside of their <laughs> comfort zone, right? I mean, the poppy leaves are not a normal ingredient. And, uh, Denny, my co-host, would look at you and go, what? I don't think most people know that that's in there, but <laughs> if well, I told them, that might detract them. <laughs> all right, so now here's, the, here's my other question is that for a lot of people who are going to be listening to the podcast, even though this is experimental brewing, a lot of people look at it from the science angle. I tend to look at it from the more creative culinary angle that you guys are going at. Um, there are, there's a lot of criticism that's thrown at people who are doing this sort of thing where, you know, it's like, hey, look, I made a beet saison or I made something with cucumbers or I made something with peanut butter or whatever flavor you want to think of, your pig's head, you know, for instance. <laughs> how, how would you guys respond to the people who want to criticize that sort of philosophy when, when they get all grumpy about it and say, craft beer is going too far, it's distracting, it's blah, 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 blah. What do you guys think about that? I assume you would have some thoughts. Yeah, I mean... I I think it definitely can be, and I've had those beers that go too far. We're trying to find that good middle ground where there's finesse to it, and there's thought behind it, and whatever's special or different about it isn't just an afterthought that's already on, you know, somebody's flagship beer. They just threw some extra crap in the keg. Uh, we're trying to actually think about it in advance and make it like plan it out. Well, see, you have a much more thoughtful response than I do. My uh, my response to that is pretty much to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, imagine what I was just doing there. You, you probably have a pretty good idea, sir. You. Um. Well, I mean, and that being said, I mean, we get we want to be creative, but we have to listen to what what the customers want to mm -hmm. buy as well like for example the um the el mas guapo guava ipa which is also a collaboration with a uh, local home brewer good friend of ours juan mm -hmm. um he uh, he we made that beer with him and it sold so well that now we're going to do it we already remade it again we're going to change it up make it a little more guava-y this time but but I mean, if something we never planned on remaking it that quickly again, but I mean, if people are buying it, then and it's a good beer, we'll make it again. Yeah, the cucumber beer was just going to be a one-off, and then we got dozens of people coming in here telling us that they're bringing it home and making micheladas with it all the time. So it, yeah, it, it takes a life out of its own. Like after you kind of release your creation out there, people do what they're going to do with it. And yeah. It's just really interesting to see. Yeah, actually, I could really see that making a really nice michelada. <laughs> that, that is a good thing. 
you don't know, Michelada, it's basically, uh, think a beer Bloody Mary, but less bloody and more beery. And it's very tasty and a really good thing for a post-weekend uh, pick-me-up, shall we say. <laughs> uh, Alright, and... Alright, so now on the point of, you know, you guys both said that there are a couple of these beers that you've done that you thought were going to be one-offs and have become, you know, sort of repeats. From a general point of view, you know, what were you it, when you guys started to go down this path of like, hey, you know, look, we're doing these culinary-inspired beers with, you know, unusual beer ingredients. Was the idea that like it, this was going to be a lot of like just you know experimentation? I'm going to just do we're, we're just going to do some different things. Was the expectation like you know, like hey, I've got like one or two flagship beers, and then everything else was just going to be spastic? And now you're being surprised by the fact that there's some actual traction here that, that you're doing this? Or was the idea was always to find things to repeat? We had our idea of what the core would be. It's just changed slightly. Uh, so yeah. what, what was the core originally in conception and what has it become? Uh, I think the only one that really got added to it right now is cumbersome and probably mm. probably Guava's going to go that way too. Yeah. I mean, all, all the other ones, the, the bottom line there, like Poppy's, cumbersome, creamsicle, which is orange vanilla, filbert, the chocolate hazelnut, the main IPA, which uh, has wheat and rye in it. And it's pretty stinking awesome. Columbus and Chinook. Uh, and then Black Bayou, the, uh, the coffee stat. Like those, we're trying to keep those going all the time, mm -hmm. and then the rest of it keep rotating. Now, in, in order to keep, how many beers do we have on tap right now? We've got 22. 22. All right, so in order to keep 22 beers on tap out of your 10 barrel system, like how often are you guys brewing right now? Uh, like maybe twice a week. Well, just given that you guys have been open since January 1st as a open business, I mean, that's still pretty good. Yeah, sometimes it was only once, I mean, kind of figuring out the pacing, but, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, trust me, if you guys follow the same growth pattern as a lot of other breweries, it won't be too long before you're like, going, we don't have enough time to brew. <laughs> so. All right, um, now, Sarah, I, obviously we know about uh, Matt's band background. Uh, as something other than beer. But one of the things we always talk to people about, and we always do it every podcast, is we say, hey, you know, look, brewers are people who have a lot of different interests and fascinations. It's not just beer, right? You know, which some people seem to think brewers are supposed to be about. So what is something non-beer that you are either obsessed with or passionate about? Uh, well, cooking. I like that. I don't get enough time to do that nowadays with being here, but I do like doing that. Um, and <laughs> saving money comes to mind. <laughs> I used to be money. one of those people that would like flip all the coupons and make sure, which does come into, I handle a lot of the business, well I handle all the business stuff for the business, and that does come into play, so that helps us out. So, so that's a good skill so, to in, in other words, are, are you, you run a, a tough bargain with the suppliers, you're like, how about if we buy XYZ a number of pounds of malt and you give us a break? Are, are <laughs> well, you that person? Or? Yeah, I can be, and if there's, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the wheeler and the dealer. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and truthfully, I think a lot more breweries need a wheeler and dealer. Yeah, the, I mean, the bar stools uh, kind of have some issues. We're just kind of letting them uh, live their life right now, but she got 100% refunded for those, so we're just going to let them, let them go and then replace them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, look, if you can get cheap seating for a new, uh, a new place, then uh, I think uh, that's a good thing. All right, so uh, 
kind of a pair of questions here for you guys to think about. Uh, in the course of your home brewing and your professional brewing career, has there been sort of a common wisdom thing that people have always said that you have to do, you know, if you don't do this, your beer will suffer, that you've discovered you think is overinflated or doesn't necessarily apply to your brewing process? Uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me, I, I, we're, I'm pretty against using Biofine. There's a lot of brewers that use that and that they're pretty religious about using that professionally and I not only don't think it's necessary, but I think it makes beer worse. What, what do you think makes beer worse? Because I've had IPAs out of the bright tank pre-biofine and post-biofine and it just drops all the flavor out. So the, 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 uh, makes it clearer at the cost of flavor. So particularly with, with hops, you're thinking that it binds into the hop oils and drops those out? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. Is there any, any additional comments on that? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's the first thing that came into my mind, too. I mean, not knocking anyone that does that, but, I mean, for us, I mean, I think we get pretty good clarity without that, so... Are, are, you, really guys, are you guys doing any filtering, or are no, you just... Nothing. It's just cold crashing and, yeah. and yeah. time? Yeah, and uh, most of those were unitanked. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, no, I mean, and none of the beers that I have in front of me have any sort of cloudiness issues to them. I mean, like I said earlier with the beet says on that, that one's so bright jelly clear that it's phenomenal it just pops that red right out so all right and then uh the the pairing question to that is what's an interesting discovery that you guys have made that you don't think has common wisdom is there anything like something that you were surprised at that you're like oh i don't know i mean i don't know really surprised what the learning curve for me has just been like figuring out how to get things carbonated correctly i uh just different trying to do big scale quicker when mm -hmm. in the past we just leave it for two weeks right, I can't it, afford to do that yeah I was gonna say you can't do that anymore so what, what do you do now just is it like you got a, P, a PRB on top of your tanks and you're flooding the CO2 in or uh, I mean, we just use a yeah we just have a, a carb stone but uh, yeah I'm just kind of turn up the pressure keep it as cold as I can and I'm get it done in like three days uh, I've I don't know. I've been talking to our other brewer, Brian Youngblood, that helped us start this place and have some other ideas on how to speed it up. But right now, that's not hitting my uh, schedule too hard, so I can I can survive three days. All right. So, all right, Matt, while I have you uh, here, because Sarah, uh, Sarah being the wheeler and dealer, is uh, running in and out to uh, go take care of business. Um, oh, Sarah's back. So, all right. Um, are there any other uh, brewing thoughts that you think th uh, that you'd like to share? Like things that you that you think about brewing that you don't think people necessarily think about? I don't know. Maybe I, I have an interesting I have an interesting philosophy on how I handle the IPAs. Go for it. To talk about. Uh, I don't put any hops in the boil. None in the boil. <laughs> it's all like first wort hop and flame out, which I guess maybe isn't that crazy. But I mean, it is. So, I never put any hops in the boil. All right, so uh, <laughs> just just to make sure I understand. So the transplant that I have right here in front of me, or I'm almost out of because tasty. First word hops, 60-minute boil or 90-minute boil or however many boil. We pretty much always do 90. Yeah. So full boil, no hop additions, and then you just go into the tank, or you go into the whirlpool with hop additions, and then dry hop or whatever. Yeah, so right before the boil, after the boil, then dry hop. Cool. And, and uh, why did you develop that? You just thought you, you wanted to preserve more of the hop oils? Is that the idea? Or? Oh, just that, that late dose at the end is where all the flavor comes from. And mm -hmm. putting in any earlier, you're just getting more bitterness out of it. So. Well, it's and, interesting. I, and I think the first wort hop definitely gives it a more well-rounded bitterness. Uh, 
Actually, uh, we were kind of messing around with that as like homebrewers, just having read some interesting things. And then uh, I think one day I was at a yeast side meeting and uh, was talking with uh, Ward Walkup, who just, I think he just won Doug King. And yep. No, well, he wins everything. I don't know. Well, and, and, and I just interviewed Ward at a at Homebrewers <laughs> Festival in Pasadena. So Ward's an interesting fellow. Well, when I was talking to him about that several years ago, I telling him about first Ward Hop. He's like, "Oh yeah, I do that with everything." I'm like, "Why?" Well, otherwise I just forget to put him in. So I. Well, hey, why not? Figured if it's good enough for Ward, then it was good yeah. enough for me. So we've been first Ward hopping for a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then, sir, this one's going to be for you because uh, you are the uh, flavor maestro. Uh, what are your favorite flavors? Favorite flavors uh, of the beers we make, you mean, or just, just in general? What are your favorite flavors to explore? Um, I like fruits. Like, I'm excited about um, one that we've done homebrew scale, but we're going to do full scale now. Uh, we're going to make a rhubarb ale. And not a lot of people in California are know what rhubarb even is really so much because it doesn't really grow very well out here so um so that's exciting because it's it's so tart it's almost like it's got a slight little tart sour aspect to it without it being a sour in any way so um you know just interesting stuff like that uh yeah i like things that are like bright and fresh mm -hmm. so you like that pop yeah yeah uh, well, just something interesting uh, off of that, though, is the things that are Sarah's list of banned ingredients. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Like uh, cilantro, yeah. coriander, licorice, uh, anise, anything along those lines. Uh, we'll, we'll pretty much never ever use in a beer here because Sarah can't stand them. <laughs> I was going to say, so they're, they're, solely, <laughs> they're solely banned because they fall yeah. outside of your. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's funny because the ones that you listed, at least three of those are traditional brewing ingredients in some way you know, the coriander and the anise and the licorice. So, <laughs> keep, keep, keeping the rebel, uh, rebel uh, hands on, on deck. All right. So, uh, before I go, uh, I'm obviously uh, where we are right now. You guys are about as close to another brewery as I have ever seen in my life. Because right around the corner from you guys is Lucky Luke, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so, yeah, obviously, I have to ask because you guys are so close. And when I go talk to them, what, what is that like being like this close to another brewery? Because a lot of people go, oh, wait, that's kind of a bad thing because blah. I think it's great because, honestly, I mean, think about San Diego. I mean, how many, I, how many hundred, over a hundred breweries there? I don't even know right now. Um, and there's like one on this block, one on that block, and it, it's people go there, they come here, and then you know they go back and forth. So I mean, it's it's good for both of us. Good business. We're doing totally different things. So um, yeah, I think it's an advantage to both parties. All right. Well, and so then that leads me into the next question is. Uh, how often do you guys have to do a hostage exchange for glasses because of people walking between the breweries? <laughs> I think that's only actually happened once. And uh, th those people got their drinks poured out so quickly. Yeah. And yeah. There's, <laughs> there's dealt with. bad apples that go into any brewery, you know. Uh, so. uh, uh, drunk, uh, drunk, uh, drunk people are highly illogical and silly. Yes. yes. But, uh, overall, I'd say it's been, everyone's been great. Yeah, there's really respectful. haven't been many problems. Yeah. There's that occasional person that gets dealt with, but I mean, Everyone's been respectful. The, the craft beer crowd is... Yeah. They're generally fairly mellow. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. And, and, I mean, you guys are part of... Uh, how many breweries are up here now? There's uh, Kinetic, which seems to be, like, the oldest school one now. 
Bravery, right. yep. uh, you guys, Lucky Luke. Am I missing anybody else in there? That's no, it. that's it. So that's four, but I mean, still, that's a fairly good uh, selection inside of a relatively small area on the sort of very corner of LA itself. Right. You know, I mean, hell, that's better than my town in Pasadena. So, well, hey guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you pouring uh, pouring these beers for me. And to the point of uh, what we were talking about during the during the whole thing here. Uh, yeah, a lot of these beers have sort of that high-level, weird, conceptual nature to them. You know, cucumber and beet saison and da da da. And these guys are—I mean, you guys are very much playing by the same sort of rules that I like to think I play with, which is come up with a, a an interesting, a possibly challenging idea, but back it up in a way that makes sense. Because none of these beers has been off-putting in that way of like, I don't want to have another one of these. So really, uh, congratulations. Also, we didn't really talk about it, but I love the fact that you guys have a malt liquor on tap, uh, the judge, uh, because malt liquor is one of those things I don't think gets enough respect inside the craft beer world, because uh, really, what is it? It's an Imperial Pilsner. Ta-da! Go make some Imperial Pilsners, people. Just call it a malt <laughs> liquor and have fun. So. Thank you so much, guys. I really Thank appreciate you, you uh, uh, taking the time and pouring me some beers while also running an operating business. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Yeah, thank okay. you. And at that point in time, I finished my last sip of the really fabulous malt liquor that they made served in a red Solo cup. And yes, right. even their tasters are served in a red Solo cup. Uh, and wandered out across the street and around the corner and ended up at the heart of uh, Lucky Luke uh, Brewing Company, where I am talking to, in this interview, I'm talking to Brian Schmitz, who is the, the head brewer of, uh, of Lucky Luke. And what you'll notice here is, I mean, these guys are probably the closest to the craft brewery that you've seen in your neck of the woods. They have a very traditionalist point of view very sort of staunch about the quality and sort of uh, keeping in line with what they see as like proper beer flavors. Um, we sat, uh, Brian and I sat down in the back of uh, Lucky Luke, um, right next to their really beautiful little brewing system and had a couple of beers and, uh, well, you know, see what could be seen about the, about the beers and explored what's different about their beer style versus transplants. All right, without further ado, let's go listen to that interview. All right, we are here at Lucky Luke, right around the corner from Transplants, where we just were, and I am sitting here with Brian. Brian, introduce yourself to our audience. So my name is Brian Schmitz. I'm the owner of Lucky Luke Brewing Company, along with my wife, Samantha Schmitz, and uh, happy to have you here, Drew. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. We have a flight of beers in front of us. We have a Pilsner, an India Pale Lager, an Oatmeal Stout, and a Cascadian Dark Ale, a.k.a. Denny's favorite thing in the entire universe, and I may or may not be lying about that. Um... All right, so let's uh, talk a little bit the basic biography. How did you get into beer? So I uh, got into beer actually because my wife was um, making foods from scratch at home. We're trying to eliminate all prepackaged types of, of meals. And I uh, sat at the dinner table and thought, you know, the only thing on this table that isn't actually made from scratch is the beer. So I set out to do that at home, started out just like everybody else on the kitchen stove, um, brewed a couple batches that were probably just borderline drinkable and then of course that drove me to you know brew more and ended up out in the garage and ended up doing a full kind of you know home nano brewery basically and so um, the opportunity came about um, a couple years ago and here we are here we are a full-fledged full brewery 
Okay, and how long has the brewery itself been open? So we opened, we soft opened the end of November and grand opened early, uh, early December. So, so it, like, literally, like literally you and transplants opened up just about yeah, back to back. It was a friendly kind of race to see who could get open first, you know, so, and I mean, it's, it all comes down to, you know, you invest a ton of money and thing, you get the stuff going and, and you really got to develop a profit too. So you push and, hard to get it open. And then, and then you're sitting there renting the building for a while before you can ever actually oh, yeah. turn everything oh, on forever. You know, we were in here doing construction for eight months and it was like, it was never going to end. <laughs> Well, and, and you have a very clean, very uh, modern space. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, nice and cool back here, which is unusual for a brewery. I'm, <laughs> I'm used to thinking of breweries as being like these uncooled spaces where something bad's going to happen. Yeah, we've got uh, you know swamplers and and uh, uh, everything is nice and clean and organized. We were Bryce and I are very much neat freaks and how with how we brew and so. Yep. In any given time, you'll see things move around quite a bit, like these barrels back here, just here for temporary storage. Those will move around, and and it's always in kind of a state of evolution. So, here in another about a year or so, you'll see about five more tanks, you know, come in here. So we got room for growth and really tried to plan it out as much as we could. And, for growth there. And how big is the system right now? So we have a, a 10 barrel system okay. from Portland Kettle Works. Um, we have four 10 barrel fermenters and one 20 barrel fermenter. We have the same configuration. We kind of did um, like a brew pub type setup where we've got four 10 barrel serving tanks and a 20 barrel serving tank in the cold box. And that was really just to minimize labor. We're trying mm -hmm. to do everything we can to minimize the amount of actual labor we have to put into it to make it easy. So now with, with that much that much bright tank storage here in-house in the cold box. Does that mean you're selling most of your, your product through the front door here? Or? Well, yeah, and I think any brewery that opens up, you got to establish, you know, and when you're brand new, you got to establish your brand through the tasting room as much as possible, develop your local base, and then you can start to get out from there. So we, we distribute, we self-distribute very minimally currently just here in town. We are looking to get into distribution on a larger scale down in L.A. here, hopefully within the next couple months. Uh, you know, Lancaster Palmdale is kind of an island, and so mm -hmm. it's very difficult to to get the accounts and get everything set up to where you can go deliver in L.A. all in one day because you can't, you just can't do onesie twosies and have it make any sense. I mean, we've got to go, you know, 80 miles down the road. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say I, my drive up here today was, you know, it's a nice, calm Saturday with no traffic, and it sure. still took me a little over an hour to get up here. Yeah, and you add traffic into that equation. Oh, yeah. Not at the five, the four oh five, you know, at eight, nine o'clock in the morning you're trying to get down to these accounts to get get them their beer before they open. It's a it's a disaster. It's yeah. it's tough. So, you know, going into distribution I think will be a huge thing for us. It'll be a really, really big boon for us to get some more production going. Um, and we're really looking forward to it. So hopefully we can get there soon. Well and and by the way, people uh, who are not uh, native to Los Angeles. Uh, yes, the 405, the 5, all that stuff that you heard out of the SNL sketch, that is actually how we talk. <laughs> they all start with the, and they are all horrendously packed with traffic all the time. Well, and I grew up in Florida, so out in Florida, it's I-10. Sure. Yeah. Out here, it's the 10. It's the same damn road, but it's the 10 out here, and if I go back home, it's I-10 again. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite questions I get to ask everybody. Hmm. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh, I'd say we got to use the F word quite a bit around this place, man. Yeah, it's, and it's tough because I've got a three-year-old. Our head brewer has a, a three and a two-year-old. And so, you know, we try to, we, we curb that as much as possible. But there are those moments in the brewery where it certainly warrants. <laughs> well, now, is there, is there a favorite F word construction that you use? Like, you f***ers, God f***ing damn it. Uh, it's more like, oh, f I messed up. Let's go fix that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of, you get the learning curve, I think, with us being coming from home brewing into the professional brewing. There's always like, oh, f 
we uh, that valve wasn't supposed to be open. So now let's see what we can do to fix it. <laughs> well, that's one thing that's always amazed me. Is, is so I'm looking straight behind you, and I see your patch panel uh, underneath your uh, your kettle there. Yep. And every time I see one of those patch panels, and that's a relatively simple patch panel. Oh yeah. Uh, I always look at that and go, there is no way I would ever be able to brew on a system with a patch panel like that without at least dousing myself in hot wort or hot caustic at least once. Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. And, and you know what's funny is you'll see actually some extra stuff, the yellow handles over there to mm -hmm. the left. Um, the other phrase we use in our brewery quite a bit is, you're so homebrew, because homebrewers are so, you have to figure, it, you know, when you're making stuff from scratch, you have to figure out a way to move liquid from one to another, simplify the process, or maybe make it more like a professional process. And so we brought this stuff in, we're going, man, we don't really have any way to recirculate our HLT. We don't have any way to move, you know, liquid from here to there. So we started putting a whole bunch of extra plumbing together, and people come in, pro brewers come in like, what the hell is that monstrosity you've got down underneath there? Well, it does this or that, and you go, Dude, you're so homebrew. <laughs> well, I think one of the most impressive setups I've ever seen was uh, Plowshare in Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, who's uh, run by uh, Matt Stinchfield, who is the mm -hmm. Brewers Association safety ambassador guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so he's he's probably the one who would look at you and go, God! <laughs> but you look at his panel and, like, he doesn't even actually have a panel. He just has this giant conglomeration of valves. Right, big manifolds. Yeah, and... and Looking at that, like, okay, the patch panel, at least I can kind of make some sense sure. of because there's a visual indication of what's going on. Yeah. His field of valves, <laughs> I guarantee you there is no way in hell I'd brew on that without messing it up somehow. Well, I didn't, I kind of had the same experience. Um, Steve over at Kinetic helped me out a ton when we were opening this place up, and he let me kind of put my hands on all the stuff in, in his brew house. And we actually ended up with this keg washer because I wanted nothing to do with the one that he had, right? So he had a, a system, a keg washer that is all, it's a it's professionally built, but it is a lever pull operation. So pull lever for purge, close it, pull lever for rinse, close it, pull lever for this. And so, and it's all self-timed really. You pull a lever and kind of go, okay, well, there went 15 seconds, I'm ready for the next step. And, you know, in the brew house, you're always doing three, four things at yep. once, right? And so, you know, we'd get to washing kegs and come back and go, oh, crap. I guess I better start over because I'm not going to guess at where I was at and have it be wrong, right? So what's nice about this is that our keg washer, anyway, you put the two kegs on it, hit the buttons, you walk away. If it's released the kegs, you're good to go. You're on to the next step. So, yeah, th that sort of stuff just drives me crazy, the, all the different valves and different configuration of that stuff. Well, man, real quick, I don't think we've ever actually talked about it on the podcast, but I do what's think it? there's a, a, an important point that you just made that I think a lot of homebrewers kind of miss out on. When they're talking, when they're thinking about the whole professional brewing world, which is that, yeah, we feel very proud of ourselves if we have our organized enough that we've cleaned the fermenters and sanitized everything before we actually get to the point where we're chilling, uh -huh. and therefore, hey, look, the end of the day is easy because hey, everything's done. Right. Right. Whereas in the professional world, that is diviger. It is the thing that you do. And by the way, it's not just getting your fermenters cleaned. It's the 50 other things that have to happen to the brewery at the same time. Sure. Yeah. You, you know, it's, which explains the reason why you don't see a lot of professional brewers uh, sitting around on the brew deck going, I'm going to have a nice pint break. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, we're always doing something. Um, and, and a big... A big element that I think is critically important is, you know, to develop the team. We've done been very successful that way in developing a team that works really well together, and so we just have a feel for what comes next and what needs to happen. And and Brace and I are kind of along the same lines, and, and I find it quite a bit like that engineer type of mentality in brewers. You have to be kind of an engineer, a chemist. You have to be really curious. Mm -hmm. You have to really be really just particular about every little step. And so when you get into the professional side, it just amplifies a thousand percent because now not only are you talking about 
um, having all of your processes to a place where you know exactly where everything is and everything is right where it needs to be because you can't oops I forgot to sanitize this hose and you know ruin an entire batch but now you're also talking about production you're talking about um, production interruptions you're talking about a large amount of financial risk and so that stuff becomes even more intense I think when you get to this level and in, in all honesty if you're the type of person that's into home brewing and you really you know are fanatic about it um, the professional side would suit you just well I think <laughs> so now judging by what you said I'm guessing your uh, previous career was something engineering related? Or? Yeah, I was a project manager um, and an estimator for a construction company. We did heavy earth moving for 14 years, so we did, we literally moved mountains and, and uh, you know, it was funny, you pick up, you have these massive equipments that pick up a certain amount of dirt and you're charging, you know, a certain amount for each thing. The thing goes around and you go, okay, well there's, there's a nickel and there's a nickel and there's a nickel and you're counting your profits and going, okay, how can I shave a quarter second off of his round trip so we can make a little bit more on the deal? Right. And I think, you know, it's not necessarily the glamorous side of the homebrew or the, uh, the professional brew world, but it is a business and you always need to be thinking about, okay, are we overusing, are we using too much caustic? Are we overusing our CO2? Are we, what can we do to make this faster and, and, and more, uh, efficient and so that mentality I think helps us out quite a bit I think um, Brace our head brewer was a uh, structural steel inspector so he was up on high-rises inspecting that and he had to memorize code books and you know what flew and what didn't and I think that helps him out a lot obviously in, in searching for knowledge on brewing retaining it and applying it and so I think the two of us together actually work really well. Well, too bad you guys don't have a higher up catwalk because then that right. would definitely come into play because I, I don't know if I was up on structural high steel, <laughs> my primary concern would not be about codes, it would be about not falling my ass down. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, when did you first discover good beer? Oh, man. Um, I guess that depends on your definition of good. I, I think that's probably a sliding scale, you know, when you first discover, you know, and I was a youngster and I first discovered St. Pauli girl in lieu of, you know, natural ice. I think I was in heaven. But, you know, as... Daddy ice! Yeah, as you progress through the uh, through the lexicon of different beers that's out there, you know, um, um, I would say that I've always strove to, to find and, and experience good beer. And, and uh, the perception of that is a, is a bit relative, you mm -hmm. know, and so... When, we, when I started homebrewing, I went from drinking really good beer to drinking crappy beer, and then the homebrewing got, got better, better and better, and so we finally were drinking really good beer then, and, and then seeking it out at the at the professional breweries, too. I mean, that really... Homebrewing, I think, and I tell people this all the time, there's nothing in the world that will help you appreciate and understand good beer like homebrewing beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I always push our our employees and our customers, you know, if you ever want to brew, you know, let us know. We'll hook you up with whatever you need. We'll get you over to the homebrew shop. and Because I think, you know, that helps people really understand and appreciate it so much more. Yeah, you, you, if nothing else, you learn the ingredients and a little bit of the process, and maybe not at the same scale, but you still yeah, learn. you understand just how much work really goes into making it that way, you know, and perfecting it and eliminating the little nuances that make a beer horrible. <laughs> so, no, I forget, I don't think we, we said earlier, how long ago did you start homebrewing? Uh, five and a half years ago. See, now, this is what I'm noticing up here in, in the uh, Antelope Valley area. Uh, Y'all have a pretty quick turnaround time from <laughs> uh, home brewing to professional brewing. I mean, uh, Sarah and Matt over at Transplants were like, oh, yeah, we started home brewing in 2012, and, you know, here you are, yeah. like, uh, the 2011, 2010. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, people are speedy. I think, I, I think you know, Antelope Valley, for those who aren't from around here, is, is a pretty... 
it's a larger population, but still a very small town. There's not mm -hmm. really a whole lot of extracurriculars. It's not, well, it's not like L.A. Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty know, much have so. Lancaster and you have Palmdale exactly. and then a whole bunch of high desert. Yeah, exactly. A lot of empty stuff. So you either ride dirt bikes or you... you uh, or you're in the garage tweaking on a homebrew recipe, you know. So we or you're in the a lot. <laughs> or you're in the garage tweaking, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're out on the outskirts of town, I guess you find that's kind of prevalent. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it, here we go. My favorite absolute question. I love to ask everybody. Okay. Omitting the word balance. Oh boy. Okay. Describe your brewing philosophy. Uh, quality. Quality first and foremost. Um, so we. Uh, we brew a lot more traditional styles. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't adjunct hardly anything at all. Uh, if we do, it's just a fun little one-off project we do. Um, and I think, so omitting balance, talking about quality first and foremost, and then progression as a second. So we start out with fairly simple styles here. Um, our oatmeal stout, our session amber ale, um, an IPA, uh, an American blonde. We're kind of like how we introduced ourselves to the world as a brewery and then moving into more the loggers and pilsners are really happy with you know we're really trying to get that really dialed in exactly where mm -hmm. we like it and from there we're growing up uh, sour cultures we're going to get into that quite a bit we're barrel aging quite a bit of stuff and so I think the progression aspect of it is just like homebrewing I mean I think um, the, the search for knowledge and the and the, the progression is really what keeps people going and and that doesn't go away on the professional side I mean you still look for I mean if we had to brew American Blonde all day every day we'd shoot ourselves in the face so you got to try something new and, and for us you know, knocking down that style and make sure we got it right where we like it, maybe submitting it to a competition for a medal and seeing what the notes come back as, that's that's huge for us. You know, we're really, really big into that. So now let me ask you, obviously with your neighbor transplants over there, mm -hmm. they are sort of, I don't want to say diametrically opposed, but the, the, you know, they, <laughs> they are out there on the, the raggedy edge of, they are, yeah. of flavor potential and, and exploration. Do, do you ever kind of stop and look at that and go, uh, either you guys are too crazy or I wish I could play around with that or is that just oh both definitely both um, and you know we're, we're actually exchange business quite a bit so I try to get to transplants at least you know once every other week once a week if I can just you know support each other we try out what each other's doing new and I think we're probably you know, we, we might be a little bit boring for them and we go over there and we go holy crap that's a lot of this or that whatever it is but I can certainly appreciate that um, you know as a homebrew you get bored and as a pro brewer, you get bored, like just like I said. And so you either kind of go in a direction of, okay, let's try a, a historical side, a style that I haven't tried yet and try to perfect that. Or you go, let's throw some beets in a beer. And I think both are awesome. I think both bring a, a lot of great um, experiences to the craft beer community as a whole. And it offers something for everybody. And being that we're only literally 500 feet apart, and you know a short walk down the sidewalk um, it's great for our customers it's great for the area because we're not in direct competition we don't hate each other we work together really well and our customers get to experience both sides of that I was gonna say that, that seemed like a really good thing where it's, oh, like, it's phenomenal I mean yeah. yeah I mean if it was too hey we're super traditional uber traditional breweries yeah. next to each other I could see that getting chafing but yeah, with, with you guys having that sort of different philosophy. No, it's ideal. I yeah. mean, it, it couldn't have honestly worked out any better. The, the local residents, our customers, get to what we call park once, drink twice. They get to come and, and they're always releasing new things that are, you know, they do a, a stout with Easter peeps in it. They do, I mean, they do, all, they do all kinds of really interesting styles and I respect what they do. And I think, you know, they attract a certain demographic that's seeking out that sort of beer. And then typically you'll get those people coming in trying what we have to offer. We have a large group of people that that like what we like, and they're certainly going to go try what they have to offer. So we both benefit from it, and the customer base benefits from it. Well, and I think 
uh, craft beer. I mean, we, uh, I was talking to the transplants. I mean, it's like you guys are one of four breweries up in this area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for a craft beer perspective, that's also really awesome because, yeah, you've got people being able to see the whole spectrum of what's going on yeah. Oh, yeah. and what's possible mm-hmm. and allow them to go, oh, hey, this has got an actual, like, thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and it allows, so there's certain people, obviously, they're going to claim uh, loyalty and go, this is my spot and sweet. And maybe we come out with, like, we have our oatmeal stout here and we throw, uh, we do um, toasted coconut and mm-hmm. coffee in there. And we might do a small little adjunct thing, limited release thing, and mm-hmm. that's great. Or maybe when we come out with our sours and we're fruiting those things and maybe that, you know, then kind of blends a little bit of that together. And so, yeah, we have 300,000 people roughly in the Animal Valley. Um, and and that's plenty. That's yeah. plenty of people for us all to share, and we all offer something a little bit different, and it's just great for the, the entire community, really. Well, and I thought it was funny when talking with Matt, he was talking about, hey, you know, we're getting ready to do a thing where we're going to do the normal versions of our beers without all the flavors. So uh-huh. it was kind of interesting to see, like, which which makes me say, okay, so if Matt's saying that, mm-hmm. like, hey, I want to I want to do a couple of the regular versions sure. of the of the beer. If you were to try and to then put on your transplant hat, sure, <laughs> and take one of your beers uh-huh. and turn it into a more transplanted beer, I'd love to. Do you have a, a rough idea of what you would do, like a like a just uh, gut, uh, gut snapshot of like, hey, I want to try this? Yeah. So there's been a lot of our Goza is a is a great template, I think, to to work on. Um, and I mean, we've heard kiwi, we've heard grapefruit, we've heard watermelon, we've heard cantaloupe the cantaloupe goes fantastic in that beer and so yeah i'd love to play around with that beer and there's a couple others like i said the coconut coffee in the mill right in the uh, oatmeal stout was awesome um and then as the sours come out of course we're gonna have lots of fruited varieties of those too so right. so here here you go here here's my my brilliant 50 cent idea okay i think you guys should exchange breweries one day <laughs> okay yeah i'm afraid i'm afraid we break each other's stuff man <laughs> no just exchange breweries one there we day. go yeah you guys go transplant you brew your style there, they okay. come over here, they brew their style here, and boom, it's a cross-pollination event uh, galore. We'll leave that up for discussion. We'll see. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to take a random podcaster's idea? The, whatever, I man. Gonna, I think we'd, we'd end up saying in front of each other's brew house and scratch our heads going, wait, what? How, how do I move that to there? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you, you, you have, obviously, a very impressive range. Uh, you know, I've already gone through the pills and the IPL, and both of them are very clean. Thank uh, you. You know. Uh, Pills has got that nice grainy flavor to it. The IPL got a nice hot character to it without like being overly, overly assertive, mm-hmm. uh, which seems to be a lot of places where people go over and say, oh, sh-, just dump the whole thing of hops in there. Yeah. Uh, and so, but again, particularly in comparison to say like the judge over a transplant, you know, mm-hmm. which is their malt liquor. And I was just joking that, yeah. Hey, you know what's a malt liquor except for an imperial imperial pilsner? Right. <laughs> yeah, this kind of gets in that same category, but but with that hot character, it's very, uh, very, very clean. And Thank very you. Sort of like we're very proud of that uh, beer. It's actually one of my favorites, given that the weather's warming up. You know, a nice hoppy lager is just yeah. it's so refreshing, and you know, I, I really like this beer. Well, and again, it's I mean, so. Denny, uh, on the other side of this equation of the podcast, mm-hmm. is uh, when we talk about uh, our different styles of brewing. Like I'm, I'm the one who's known as Wackadoodle Man. Okay. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the guy who makes clam chowder saison or fluffernutter <laughs> beer or something like uh-huh. that. So I'm very much in the sort of transplants category of the sure. world. Days, the scientist process, like tweak, uh, you know, revamp. Right. Uh, but with sort of very traditionally beer flavored, uh, beer flavored beers. Sure. And so. 
this is also part of the reason why I wanted to do this because you know it's like a perfect examination of both of our personalities. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, very very much appreciate what you guys are doing here as well, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so now going on, obviously you just talked about the IPL uh, as a thing that you like to drink as it's warming up, but what's a beer that you find yourself longing to drink? You know, actually, my, my tastes kind of revolve quite a bit. Um, our philosophy here, to a large degree, is we, don't, we won't put out a beer to the tasting room that we wouldn't order two pints of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll order a pint. If I'm not happy with it, I'll, I'll, I'll muscle through it. But if you, ha- if you get order that second one, obviously, you've got something you like. And so for us, we, we love every beer we put out, and that's the God honest truth. Um, Have you ever dumped a beer because you didn't like it? Pilot batch, yeah, on the pilot side. And we're very conservative in that way. We pilot a lot of our beers before we go to the full scale. And so uh, we're, we're cautious in that regard. Um, and we've had to dump a pilot batch. And there's been a couple that I'm not into, but maybe we get a positive reception from the rest of the staff. And, and I'm not a, I don't have Napoleon syndrome. I'm not going to say, I don't like it, it's got to go. You know, if, it, if it's well received. You're not the dictator? Yeah, I, you know, everyone's palate's different, man. So, and, and, you know, going back to your original question, I think my, my taste revolves a lot. I'll, I'll go out and pour myself our double IPA or I'll go out and pour myself our, our brown ale and, and a lot of times with the warmer weather it's lighter beer naturally and so I find myself currently into the lighter crisper cleaner. I love the, the Pilsners, the lagers, um, Pivo Pils got me kind of turned on to that and, and I owe our head brewer a lot for turning me on to that and going look man just look how awesome a, a clean simple beer can be and mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, well okay how awesome a clean, simple beer can be when you had the sort of control level that yeah. Firestone oh. Walker has. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, and compared to Firestone Walker, we're essentially home brewers yeah. on this scale. And to be able to turn out a beer that we really love to drink and are really proud of, that is a major thing for us. And we're super, super excited to bring that to to uh, to our customers. And so we, we, we did a wheat wine that we loved a whole lot, 10%. We used a buckwheat honey in that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a Belgian Golden Strong. Um, I tend to stick more towards the five percent, even mm-hmm. session, you know, three percent stuff. So, um, yeah, I like the lighter, crisper beers. Currently, in wintertime, you get me into our imperial stout and our oatmeal stout, and so yeah, I revolve quite a bit. That's good. Hey, I mean, look, there's a reason why there's a spectrum of beer flavors. Absolutely. All right. So now, given that you do have a very traditional bent to the beers that you do, mm-hmm. what is the most unusual beery thing you've ever done? Me personally, or as a brewery? Uh, Either. Okay. Um, it's going to sound, I guess, going to sound kind of conservative, but as a home brewer, one of my favorite recipes was a rosemary red ale I did, and actually used uh, some rosemary uh, sprigs and that thing, and, and it was very complimentary, I think, uh, on a home brew side. On uh, the professional side, our head brewer, Brace, actually streaked out a sample of Brett Brooks out of uh, uh, some bottle dregs, essentially, streaked it out into a single cell and identified what it was, grew it back up, made a session... 100% Brett IPA. And for me, I'm looking at that going, man, that's a crazy science project. And thinking about how to scale that up from our pilot systems only, you know, it's a barrel. Mm-hmm. Whereas our production brewery or, our, you know, our, our larger brewery is 10 barrels. So thinking about streaking uh, a species and, and growing that up to that size is a pretty crazy concept for us. But certainly we're up to the challenge. Well, there you go. You got to do a pilot batch as a starter and then take the starter and yeah, into your exactly. 10. Right? Exactly. Hey, look, you're already 10 to 1. That's supposed to be ideal. It's supposed to be, yeah, but, you know, bread is an unpredictable bastard. That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, what common wisdom uh, brewing practice do you think is either wrong or overinflated? Oh, boy. Uh, I guess on 
we get we get a ton of homebrewers that come in, mm-hmm. and, uh, and are they all obnoxious? <laughs> no, no, they're all really great people, and you know, I, I identify with that because I, you know, fanboyed every brewery that I could before opening this place to try to glean as much information as I could, and so I, I identify with that, and uh, and it's cool. I try to give back as much as possible, but you know, um, um, I hear a lot about secondary fermentations and moving stuff around and and fermentation temperatures and things, and going, you know, fermentation is the absolute most important thing, and once it's in the fermenter, we don't touch it. So you know, I gave up secondary fermentation at home a long time ago. And that was a big, huge thing for a lot of people. That was really mm-hmm. what needed to be done. I think for clearing purposes at home, it works. It makes sense. Now, um, obviously, you've got the CCV tanks here that, mm-hmm. that I can see over here. Do, do you blow out the hot, uh, Do you blow out the yeast cone? Uh, oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, you're doing the professional version of secondary, but just not. Yeah, to a certain degree, we we, we don't move anything around. Right. Obviously, yeah, um, you're just we, getting rid of the yeast. We purge the crap out of everything. We're, we're big on um, absolutely eliminating oxidation. So. When we move from, so our fermenters are a good, it's a 50 foot run from the fermenter to the serving tank where we carbonate and clean. And so we'll, we'll purge our hoses, the, obviously the tank is purged, um, we'll purge the hoses, we'll throw any finding agent in the hose itself, um, we'll, 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 we, uh, we obviously we purge our, our kegs of CO2 and then we store the kegs inside the cold box. So before they get filled they're actually same temperature, the interior. Uh, pressure is where mm-hmm. we expect it to be, so we're slightly above the pressure of the. Right. Um, so, I guess on the professional brewer side, I would say that uh, overrated, or overstated, or you know maybe not necessary. I think it's all really necessary. I think a, a level of, of obsession is uh, it can't be understated. You know, you really have to obsess over every last little step of it. You know. All right, uh, and then uh, here we go. Uh, what is something that you wish more people would uh, drink or explore in terms of beer? Huh. Well, I mean, given that we're more traditional styles, you know, I, I think more people, I think I wish more people would appreciate, like, a, just a good browning or just a, a, a porter or, you know, just more of the simple styles. And, and in all honesty, obviously, we've based our business around those sort of styles. And, and I think there's going to be a kind of a coming back around when a lot of the extremism, the, a lot of the extreme, like I need the most barrel I can get, or the most ABV, or the most IBU, or you know, I think there's a, a stage in the craft beer exploration where you know you've really fallen in love with this character of a beer and just go for every last. You know, I want to squeeze the juice out of the hop and have you know 400 IBU beer, but I think at a certain point it comes back around. Like I just want a really simple pilsner. You know, I just want really something that's just clean and easy to drink, or I want a really solid brown ale. You know, and, and I'm hoping that comes around, and I wish people would appreciate that more. But I, I think it's coming. You know, well, and see, and and I've argued about it before on the podcast and other places. Uh, even for me, as a guy who's you know a crazy culinary dude, right? Um, I've really argued in the past that I would love to see a revitalization of the brown ale because yeah. I think. I think brown ale, even outside of traditional drinkability of the brown ale, mm-hmm. I think brown ale provides such an interesting palate to play on top of from, a couple, uh, from that sort of, like, hey, I'm going to be wacky sort of person. And I really think people are missing out on the fact that it, it doesn't exist so much anymore. I think it's tremendous. There's a tremendous amount of versatility in that, in that mm-hmm. style. Uh, we make a southern English brown, which is a darker... The uh, BJCP actually just recently, last year, reclassified it as a historical style. I was going to say, because it, it's like, 
I, I don't think I've ever actually had a Southern English brown from Southern England. It's uh, yeah, and so we say, you know, you know, the uh, typically all the browns you have are like a uh, Northern English brown. Ours is yep. Southern. It's darker, a little bit yeah, toastier. You have your Newcastle versus yeah, everything right. else. And so what's nice about it is only four point four percent alcohol. It's super super easy drinking. It's got lots of rich type of flavors without getting in the roast side of things. And and I think it's super versatile with the type of foods you can pair that with. And certain you know the whether it's hot cold outside really doesn't matter. It's it's just a good middle of the road beer, good versatile beer. We're good. All right. Um, so, what are some of your favorite flavors to explore? My favorite flavors are, and and by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be beer related. It's just what are some of your favorite flavors? Um, well, my wife is is a is a chef, and so we do a lot of playing around in the kitchen at home with different flavors and styles and, and culinary genres, I guess. But um, I'm more of with beer, obviously, more traditional stuff. I like the I like to see what we can do with yeast. Yeast, I think, is an underrated flavor contributor that I think a lot of people um, don't pay enough attention to. So we focus really, really big on yeast health and yeast management, and making sure we don't have any any you know off flavor kickoffs from yeast. Um, so now, management. going from that, sure. Do you have a do you have a favorite yeast that you think is sort of underutilized? So we. Um, Obviously, cow is really prolific. Cal yeah. ale is a is well, just a universal. It's clean, it's neutral. It's it is. We use that and for, get out. Yeah, we use that for a, a lot of our um, American ales. Uh, we use um, a dry English for mm-hmm. uh, for our our our, um, our brown, our oatmeal stout, our you know a lot of our English beers. Obviously, that's a, a I think an appropriate yeast to use for that. We use a dry Belgian for all of our Belgian stuff, and that we found to be an animal for all of our Belgian stuff. It just we attenuate beers down to zero here, and um, super super cool yeast. And if anyone's interested, I recommend you give it a try. We get out of Yeast Bay, mm-hmm. um, they and they'll sell it on a on a homebrew scale as well. And so, which particular strain out of Yeast Bay? It's called Dry Belgian. Dry Belgian. Um, I'm not aware. I don't recall the number, but. Yeah. yeah, that thing is an animal. We do our 10% uh, and was Belgian the, Golden Strong, and you know that thing attenuates to zero. And the so dry the, English that was, was that like the White Labs dry English? It or? is, yeah. White Labs dry English and the White Labs cow. So. Now, so the East Bay one's pretty uh, pretty obscure, but is is there anything else that like you find that you want to play with? or? Well, I mean, as far as playing with, I mean, with starting with our sour program here pretty soon we're really playing with some stuff that isn't really categorized it's you know it's a conglomeration of stuff that we found from beers that we love and St- we're, uh, stuff we found outside in the antelope valley right. area coming off the cactus <laughs> well we do have that yeah our, our head brewer actually uh he did um capture some wild yeast out on his patio in his backyard and we're going to be brewing with that and seeing what we come up with if we like it we'll grow it up and we'll use that and i think you know, there's a lot of breweries kind of focusing on that now is trying to get that Torah of the of your local region. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of, like, fruit or hey. stuff around here for us hey. to capture to capture hey. that. Hey. But. you guys could get the yeast off a of jackalope. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, last year, Connecticut and Bravery collaborated. They got juniper berries. They got, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you can actually find here. And I really dig that. I yeah. like what... what well, I was going to uh, say, up here in the high desert, you've got your cactus, you've got your sage, you've got your rosemary, mm-hmm. you've got your junipers, you've got... Yeah. So there's certain things we could use, uh, you know, certainly not any barley or hops or anything, but, no. you know, we could find some things here and there. We could come up with something. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, two last questions here. Sure. Any other brewing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, um, again, 
I tell people all the time, people come in, they see how we've got everything set up and, and a lot of homebrewers are, you know, it, it's cool to see a homebrewer come in and, and kind of look at what we have and go, wow, you know, if I only had this capability or that capability. And, and I really can't stress to them enough how, how important it is to obsess. You know, you're going to, if you're really going to want to succeed on a level of even getting into the professional side, you're going to need to get to a point of obsession that other people would consider mm -hmm. to be abstract. You know, you're really going to need to be so, so into it that, um, that people might think you're a little bit weird about it, you know, but that's really what it takes to be a true artist. You know, you look at true, uh, true artisans and really any field, musicians, poets, um, um, chefs, and, 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 and in beer. This is our art, and so, you know, you can't be afraid to obsess over every little step, you know. No, I, I always argue that uh, beer, both homebrew and craft brew, it's a craft in the sense that it is practical art. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I tell people that all the time. It's it's super gratifying to come up with a recipe from scratch. And this isn't just, you know, uh, when I was brewing in my garage and every neighbor came by to drink as much free beer as they could. And it was all of it was awesome. And I'm going, that doesn't help me at all. I yeah. really wish you'd be a little bit more discriminating, you know. But, of course, right. that, you know, it was always nice to have that support. But on the professional side, when you're selling it for a living and you're coming up with a recipe, you're, produ you're taking a risk and spending a lot of money on making this thing and, and building up your brewery and then you hand that bar over that beer over the bar and have someone receive it with a smile and, and tell you that it's good I mean that's the true measure right there and so uh, for us you know the feedback we get from our customers the smiles we see on their faces that that sort of thing is just it's the most gratifying thing ever and that keeps us fueled to keep doing more you know and so we obsess over every little thing to make sure that when they fall in love with that beer when they come back and we're three batches later it's still gonna be the same beer the exact same beer. There you go. all right so last question mm -hmm. We talk about uh, brewers are kind of obsessive, right? You know, we just oh, sure. oh, beer, 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 beer. But of course, I don't think any brewer out there is just completely obsessive only about the one thing. Okay. So, what is a non-beer thing that you are utterly fascinated with or obsessed by? Cars. Yeah, Cars? I, I love. Yeah, I'm a big time uh, American hot rod type guy. In fact, um, what's I, your favorite? So. I had a Camaro when I was younger, and I, I missed that thing dearly. I wish I had another. Um, our head brewer just went up to Sacramento and brought back a 59 Rambler wagon, which is just super cool because it's so obscure, and it's, you know, it's just, it's cool. It's all rusted, and mm -hmm. um, I'm working on an Impala at the house trying to get that thing done. And that was actually my great-grandfather's car we bought brand new. This whole place, so Lucky Luke, is based upon my great-grandfather, Luke. And all of our beers are named after old school occupations. And so when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in his workshop and he would tell me about all these old jobs that he had. And so we built this place kind of like he would out of kind of obscure type of materials and, and in a different different type of way. So like all the wood in the front's all pallet wood. Mm -hmm. Our tables are made out of tractor discs at the bottom for bases and everything's kind of handmade. And so that'd be kind of the way he did it. Um, and I've got his old car that I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish and one day bring in here. and. And uh, you know I'm I'm severely sentimental with that sort of stuff. So the, uh, those old cars, you know, they don't build them like they used to. You know? No. So. Well, but also at the same time, like looking at the uh, smog level in the LA Valley area. Yeah, it's probably a good thing they it don't. Is. Yeah, it's a very good thing. No, and, and I will also say, like one of the few times I've ever really had to seriously debate the larcenous part of my heart uh -huh. was I did a. a shop brew at my homebrew shop mm -hmm. you know with our club and demonstrating mm -hmm. a big batch of beer uh -huh. and right next door is an auto shop that does like stereo installs and security alarm installs okay and for whatever reason i don't know they had a powder blue 1968 shelby gt500 uh, parked <laughs> in the in their back area and it was visible from the homebrew shop because it was all fenced in mm -hmm. but visible from the homebrew shop 
what a distraction. Oh, I swear to baby Jesus. <laughs> I looked at that car the whole time. I'm like going, All right, I'm not digging so much on the powder blue, but still that car. Oh, yeah. Oh, that car. Yeah, there's some gems out there. And, uh, you know, maybe that's my whale. That's that's the, the, the whale of a bottle that I seek out is I, you know, I love that feel of an old hot rod. So that's right. that's my thing besides beer and family. You know, I, I try to remember that I am still a husband and a father and, mm -hmm. and I got to spend time doing that. So when I'm not, uh, when I'm right here at the brewery, and, and even when I am, the family's here pretty frequently um, at home trying to get as much work done as on the projects as possible, you know. There you go. All right, well, hey, thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate you taking the time. True. We appreciate you coming yeah. in. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, like I said, it, you know, and this is kind of cool that, I mean, literally, as, uh, as we pointed out here, we are 500 feet apart from two very, very, very different breweries that really do emphasize the sort of broad nature of craft brewing and why craft brewing is so freaking awesome absolutely and you know really by all means like when you guys are exploring you know really take the time you know take a, take a look out there you'll find your the craft breweries aren't necessarily super far apart take the time to explore them be safe about it sure but also at the same point in time if you get you know when you're dealing with your city and i don't know how you guys had any issues up here you know, but a lot of times you'll see cities get all grumpy about like breweries being too lo uh, too closely located to each other. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, there is a thing, a really really good powerful thing about having breweries so close to each other. Any sort of clustering. Yeah, because it Absolutely. really encourages exploration. And our city actually was huge in, in implementing that. They they actually changed a zoning law for us to uh, to allow this to happen. And what they're seeing now is. They're, they're, they're bringing people, a larger group of people into one single area without scattering them all over the city and, and causing, you know, just issues with, with logistics, moving yeah. people from here to there. So it works out great. The city loves it. We're, you know, they're golden boys right now. And we love that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Wow, man. I don't know if I have ever seen two breweries so close together and so far apart before. Uh, and from what you're saying, it sounds like they both make great beers, huh? Yeah, they really do. And I mean, again, Lucky Luke, I mean, they're very much in that sort of, you know, classical beer world thing. You, you'd sit down, you'd totally recognize what it was that they were doing. Transplants is off in their own, you know, intergalactic brain space. And it's actually really cool to see. And what's really great about it is to see just how well these two businesses get along and kind of complement each other, right? I would be curious if you put two transplants next to each other or two Lucky Lukes next to each other, uh, or at least this close together, how that would work out. But it seems that these guys have gotten a real great synergistic effect going where people show up at one place, have a couple of beers and say, hey, you know, Lucky Lukes is right over there or transplants is right over there. Let's go explore that. And you get to have sort of the broadest spectrum that you can of craft brew in a very, very short space. That's very cool. Very cool. No doubt about it. Well, uh, every week we like to spend a couple minutes talking about things other than beer. And as he often does, Drew has gone out and found something weird on the internet. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I am a computer programmer. I pretty much spend... <laughs> Weird on the internet is your life, huh? Yeah, ninety-eight percent of my life is spent on the is spent on the internet. So <laughs> I just you know, fun little throwaway thing, you know, gag a gag thing. I think everybody will forget about before too long is a Tumblr website out there called JustTwoThings.tumblr.com, and <laughs> the whole premise of the site is the folks behind it literally go out and they search 
all the nerd ephemera that's being produced out there. You know, t-shirts and glasses and posters and, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. All the things that people are mishmashing together to try and make money out of, you know, whatever it is they can find on the internet. And the folks behind uh, Just Two Things, they're very, very specific about what they're looking for. They're looking for all these sorts of weird nerd pandering designs that are out there that combine two things together just to try and make something unique. And so, like, a perfect example is I'm looking at the site right now, and they have a t-shirt design that somebody's put up for sale on T-Fury that is a mishmash of the Powerpuff Girls and the Justice League. Yeah, so, you know, or, uh, sorry, not the Justice League. Sorry, excuse me. These are the DC women heroes, so Batgirl, Wonder Woman, and Supergirl as the Powerpuff Girls. Or, you know, uh, Pokemon mixed with Game of Thrones, or... It's banana pants, and it's literally just celebrating all these sort of crazy, silly, stupid crap that people throw together to try and make a little bit of money. Wow. You know, and I guess I'm not even culturally aware enough to know what the heck some of that stuff was, so. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It it, it does really require, you know, sort of ultra nerd literacy, but (laughs) even then, even if you're not ultra nerd literate, you can take a look at this stuff and go, what are people thinking? But people <laughs> go out there and buy it. So whatever. There is a lot of what are people thinking there. I have to admit that when I took a look at it. Yeah, it is It is pretty much the, the raison d'etre of the internet is to make you stop and say, what are people doing? <laughs> and this is, just a perfect, this is just a perfect example of it. And it just makes me laugh because it is very, very silly. Really? Yeah, it is. It is extremely silly. Well, hey, I want to thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing this week. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we're at Experimental Brew. We're on Facebook. We may be other places I haven't even found out about yet. I also want to remind you to uh, sign up to be an Igor and get involved in some of our experiments. You can sign up by sending an email to Igor, that's I-G-O-R, at experimentalbrew.com. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, uh, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, and believe me, a lot of people like to do that, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to contact each one of us individually, you can email me at Denny at ExperimentalBrew.com or he's Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. So we'll be back in a couple weeks with our all Q&A show live from HomebrewCon, the event formerly known as the National Homebrew Conference. Until then, remember to brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you next time on Experimental Brewing.